Are you looking for a better way to create your dream life? How to create wealth so you can enjoy your hobbies, friends, and family even more? Then this podcast is for you. We're Chris and Paul, and we're on a mission to help regular women and men gain access to passive income opportunities. Income opportunities that most people never even hear of. So let's start the show and create your fortune in wealth, health, and life, one step at a time. Hey there, Chris Roberts here, and we are here with Tim Murphy. Tim Murphy, please say hi to the listeners. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing today, Chris? <laughs> hey, I'm awesome, man. Thank you so much. You, you, you cannot see it if you're just listening to the podcast, but he's got this cool background. It's boomers and big kahunas. And so, Tim, we're okay. going to start off by asking you how you see or how your understanding is of the word success and how you frame the word success in the life that you're living, whether it be personal or professional. Please share how you see the word success. Sure, sure, Chris. Um, I think when I really think back over it, you know, when you start out in a career, you think more material things. But as you get a little older, it's a matter of how do you overcome things? Can you overcome something? Can you turn something around? Can you strive for the goals that you're looking for later in life? So like myself, I run personally. I run marathons. I just did my 30th in LA a few weeks back. But it's, uh, you know, I started with 265 pounds and I've dropped down 183 pounds. Part of it is just, hey, I don't want to take prescriptions like my father did, you know, later in life. Success is overcoming problems and issues. We've all had to live through a pandemic, sort of up and down and still kind of lingering out there. But, uh, you know, we've taken a company and turned it around. But I, I just think it's a matter of overcoming the obstacles in spite of it. Okay, so it was a failure. So it was a, eh, it didn't go to exactly as planned. Uh, now, how do we get to it? Is there something else we can do? Could we look at it another way? Can we reframe it? Do you always want to do that in the middle of it? No, you're like, oh man, I wish that didn't happen. Um, but you say, okay, that happened. And how do we move forward? Because I don't dwell on things too long. So to me, it's just success. It, it, today, my life is the journey, I guess, getting past it. I'm in, I'm in the middle of my house right now. I'm renting a house in North Orlando and we're remodeling our original house. We moved to California for a year, came back, stayed in a rental house, and we're coming to the end. Finally, I get to move back in in like hmm, two more months, maybe. Uh, but, uh, you know, totally remodeling the house. And it's just like it's coming to an end. You know, so it's just, oh, if you think of all the things and the contractors and the things we had to purchase and the lighting fixtures and, and the hardware and everything that's going into this place, you go, wow, what a money pit. But it's coming to an end of what we originally visualized. So, you know, success to me is just the journey. And then did you learn from it? And then you, and what were the what were the failures? You know, what were the things that didn't do so well? What could you have done differently? Could you have, you know, on, and, and the company we turned around with uh, Big Kahunas and Boomers Parks, we call it Boomers Parks Company. It's really called APX Operating Company owned by a private equity firm. But, uh, you know, it's a matter of what did we do? Were the people correct? Did they hear what we said? Did they instill the values? Did they get where we were going with it and the leadership we were working on? Not so well sometimes, you know, it got sometimes beat it in their head to, to try to get where we need to go. Um, but what I can say, two things. One, the number went from the previous company that was bankrupt $10 million in loss to a positive $8 million in EBITDA. So that was a pretty good swing. And last year was only nine months open where the previous year that we were comparing to was a loss as well as 12 months revenue where we ran everything in nine months revenue and still beat the sales from two years ago. So that's a positive. And then where do you take it from? You know, with, with 
you know, how did, how did we get the people to turn this company around? Well, we had to get belief. We had to get the core values in. We had to get them understanding. And it's all about guest experience. And when the guest experience is there, price never matters. And you, you become more successful. But along the way, hey, lots of failures, you know, lots of starts and oh, yeah. step, steps back. And all right. All right. Oh, and by the way, now we're open again. We're going to close once again <laughs> and close again. And unfortunately, the next closes lay everybody off about 90% of the workforce right before the Christmas holidays. So it really makes things tough, you know, but you just got to say, okay, I kept smiling during the whole time and going, <laughs> there's a bright spot here. I'm not sure what it yeah. is just moment, but there's a bright spot here. So yeah, Tim, you, you touched on several things and actually I want to step back to something you said, and I want the crew, the takeaway from his success was, which is great because actually you talked about weight loss and running marathons, which has really nothing to do with what people think about success generally is like, oh, money, or I'm building a business, or I've got a bunch of cars or toys or whatever it may be. And you were talking about actually just overcoming something, overcoming a challenge, adversity, losing weight. Obviously, you turn businesses around and help them become successful through lots of different mediums, right? Uh, change in mindset, change in finances, whatever it may be, structure, management, whatever. But I love what you said about losing the weight. And that's amazing. Congratulations, by the way. That is that is not an easy feat, right? But you're obviously putting systems and processes in place to not only lose the weight, but to also continue to keep the weight off, i.e. marathons and such, right? Basically putting bumpers on yourself and saying, oh, I need to practice this XYZ every day to stay within the success model, which is great. Plus it's healthier and everything else. So kudos to you. That's awesome. You look great. Congratulations. That's absolutely spectacular. Um, let's talk a little bit about, because you started diving in. Let's talk a little bit about exactly what you do. And so here's what I'd like, if you don't mind, because I know a little bit about you, but let's let's start from how you started in the business, what it is you guys do, and then maybe share an example. You started diving into it, so maybe share an example. And you touched on it, which we can all attest to the chaos during COVID and the ins and outs and the government regulations. And oh my Lord, if you were a business owner and you're still alive, man, Amen, brother, because you did it. And that you guys obviously specialize in helping turn business around. So if you don't mind, let's start kind of from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your journey, and then you can maybe give us an example of exactly what you guys do. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I actually I started in the business of family entertainment centers with my family at eight. Cool. Since eight, dad was an entrepreneur with so many different businesses, fence business, welding business, construction business, but yeah. mom ran a miniature golf arcade and restaurant. So I ended up working at something, someplace as a kid growing up. So I got that great experience. Dad sold out a lot of business, wanted to retire, move from New Jersey, go down to Florida. And so I take a job at Disney World when Epcot Center opens. So, you know, just kept going into entertainment, but I loved it. Love staying. I was with them for six and a half years, moved into restaurants. I've been with about 150 brands, 10,000 locations wow. over my 35 plus year career. And I'm just having fun. Now I'm just having fun because I've been exposed to so many things. It used to be when I started out my career, oh, you don't want to jump around. That looks bad on a resume. That's <laughs> You know, but with the exposure I've had by going to so many different businesses, it's things I pull back from. It's like, oh, I was work. I worked for the former chairman CEO of Applebee's. This is a gentleman that bought Applebee's when it was 52 units, grill and bar restaurant, in the United States, one of the largest casual dining chains in the world. And he retired with 1300. He's building hundred Applebee's a year for 10 years straight. This was one of my mentors in franchising and restaurants, but I've worked for some of the larger brands. I worked for some small brands and it just got to a point where I was really starting to help companies franchise, consult, how to turn it around, things you need to work on, where can we save on costs, labor, food, whatever it might be. 
pretty much in a hospitality, restaurant, entertainment type of business, resorts, because they're very similar in P&Ls. You can tell, boom, right off the bat, what's in the number, what's wrong. As long as you've got a good understanding of each of the industries and what the competition can be, how do you make it better? So you start looking at it and you go, all right, dad was running these businesses. I got into it because, well, I want to see how to make more money in the business. You know, when you go into business for yourself as an entrepreneur, which I have, I've had some bad partners that's really hurt me. And then I've had some really good relationships. And you, know, you just learn from each of these and you say, okay, how do I make this better? How do I, how do I do this a little bit better? And no one normally goes into a job and says, how do I make this better? What they do is they go in and work a job. They just work hours instead of saying, what am I learning from this? Can I get more involved in operations? Can I get more involved in IT? Can I get more involved in marketing and how they do those things? And then eventually, little by little, it starts coming to you and you start saying, okay, I really kind of understand what's going on because I kept questioning everything. My dad ran his own businesses. He didn't know what he, he had a 10th grade education. I love him to death, passed away about 10 years ago, but just he was just, I got to make it happen for my family. And to me, he was very successful. Big house, big cars, all those things, you know, that everyone looks at and go, oh, they must have, kids used to say, you must have $100 bills on the walls everywhere as a kid for wallpaper. It's like, really? You really think that? No, I worked very hard. You just don't have a clue what it takes to go through it. But you get to see all those aspects of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then you see that with businesses too. There's, there's no differences that what, you know, what I saw growing up. And frankly, we were just talking a little bit about marathon running. I don't see much difference in marathon running. You've got to do a lot of things to get prepared to run. You got to train, you got to practice, you got to try different things, you got to try new food, you got to make sure that you got the right stuff. You know, when I got into marathon running at 40, I'm 56 now, and I never ran a marathon in my life, but hey, I'm going to run a marathon this year. I thought it was shoes and shorts, but there's so much more, <laughs> just like a business. You've got to understand. The dynamics, the people, the, you know, what's going to be the buttons that's going to push everything. I will say, you know, being in finance for a lot of years, it's taught me a lot to look for because of what are the buttons that move things? What are the levers that's going to change the number, the direct direction on labor, on cost of goods sold, on controllables, non-controllables, what the rent might be like? Heck, I got so into it that I said, I really got to understand the real estate side of this. Became a real estate broker in a state of Florida, still am 20 years later. But I did it just from the commercial side of it for the businesses I worked with to say, hey, what can we do? How do we have better knowledge when we're going to buy a piece of property, get a better deal, or it's a lease, whatever we're physically looking for? And how can we negotiate that a little bit better or what to look for? What gives you the better sense of this so that you've got a better clue when you're going into it? And it's same with construction, dealing with contractors, building restaurants. You know, how can we how can we make the box smaller and so I can have lower overhead? Just those types of things. But I, I go back to the parents. I go back to the businesses I've been with. And it's always asking, what else can I do? Now, that's that sounds like, oh, oh, you, you, know, you were like overachiever, never slept. Oh, yeah, pretty much. I still do today. But the bottom line is, what do you learn out of it? Oh, there's so many great things you learn out of it, even the good and the bad. When there's a bad deal that goes down or a bad real estate deal or a bad lease, what could you do differently to put in a contract the next time to make sure that you're protected? But most people just stop. Oh, I learned my mess and I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, that's wrong. You got to keep after it. It's persistence, just like running a marathon. It's persistence, one foot after another, one more breath, one more day, keep going through, even if it sucks really bad. And you really got some bad, you know, data and information, but that that's the things that I take out of it. You know, that it's just, sure. that's what 
it's a persistence to go after and continue to you know drive that. Sure, I love that. And and Tim, something you you talked about, which I want the crew to take note of, was one. Obviously, your father was a great mentor, blue collar, hardworking, put your head down, right. industrial era, probably or even sooner, and had that work ethic, right? And probably willed himself through an awful lot of challenges just by sheerly swinging the hammers every day, so to speak, right? Yeah. Uh, but but you. Yeah, but you exactly. But you, what you touched on, which I want the crew to take from this, is something that is actually dear to my heart. Is you had a financial background, which I did not, but I quickly realized early on how fundamentally important it was to the business's success to understand the numbers and use the data to drive you. And clearly, you have that background. And what's most interesting, and what I want the crew to take away from it, is even if you're not really good with spreadsheets or you're not a CPA by trade or an accountant or whatnot. You really need to follow the data, follow the numbers, and oftentimes that will guide the success or failure of your business, whether it be emergency funds, saving, allocating the proper expense to income ratios, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll just give you one quick example, which I'm sure you have a thousand of them, which I'd love to hear. But the reason it stood out for me is I have a friend who owns a post office box, like a post office postal place. And he, when he took over, one of the first things he asked me about was the marketing. I came in, I was helping him a little bit. And he said, can you help me put together a marketing campaign? And I said, sure. And I said, but let me ask you a question. Sure. I said, what are your expenses and what's your income? Do you, can you share a P&L with me real quick? I just want to understand where you are financially. And he goes, well, I'm not sure exactly. And I'm like, well, like the point I'm getting at and without even going down a rabbit hole is the first thing on my mind was I want to understand how financially sound the business is because the P&L will tell you everything you need to know, right? And before I can allocate any suggestions on advertising, I need to know where you are structurally, fundamentally, everything before I even know if there's a roof leak. I don't even need to know if there's a roof leak, right? So what was interesting is, is what you touched on is as soon as he showed me that, the first thing I said was, there are opportunities for additional revenue here that you need to explore, i.e. maxing out your post office box rentals because they were like 40%, bringing additional revenue in free airspace that's sitting there before we even think about spending any money on advertising, right? And there was all this, we deep dove into things, but I love diving into people's businesses because what happens is, which I'm sure you can attest this, and I can't wait to hear more about it, Tim, your perspective, is... Most businesses work within their business. They're not working outside or on their business, right? They're, they're caught up in the thick of thin things. Like Covey says, they're, they're just a day-to-day and they don't have enough help and they don't have enough resources or, or money in reserve to cover hiring people. And so they get caught up in this whirlwind or the sandbox that they just can't get out of, right? And so that's what's really fascinating about what you said, because when you look at numbers and you can just learn the most basic about numbers, it can really help you to, to succeed or failure in business. Then of course, good work ethic and discipline and all that stuff favors as well. But if you don't mind, Tim, please elaborate a little bit more on that because that's great. Well, you know, taking the numbers. So look, having an under basic understanding of say restaurants, when I've helped restaurants or entertainment companies. So, you know, kind of the difference is talk about those quickly. You both have food, labor, both have controllables, things you actually can control, repairs, maintenance, supplies, all those things. Non-controllables, okay, rent will say, credit card processing fee maybe. You don't have too much that you can really change. You can change some of those things, but it's only just a little bit. So really having a fundamental and going, all right, so a restaurant has those components, but what do they throw off in profit? Well, if you don't know what you're, comp- you know, what you're physically getting into, I, I, I've met so many people that own family entertainment center businesses that I'm looking at to buy potentially because I want to fix them and do what we do. 
And they don't necessarily, I got in this just for fun. Like, okay, great. So you, you had no real background and you got into it. And so how do you price yourself? Well, you know, I just, I kept the price and maybe I tweak it every now and then. It's like, okay. Well, one valuable lesson I had from Abe Gustin at Applebee's was, you know, just take it to the market. Don't leave money on the table. Let's make it what market price is, what's out there. So to do that, what do you got to do? You got to know your competition, right? So you got to go survey. What are they, what are they serving compared to what you're serving? Do you have something similar or is the, your plate that much bigger and it's more valuable? Do you have a signature item that you can't get anywhere else? Do you have a signature drink that you can't get anywhere else? You can charge a little bit more for that and you'll get more out of it. But people go, no, 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 I can't take the price. I was like, really? I think, I really think you can. So in a family entertainment center business, you don't know your numbers. You don't know what the competition is. Well, how do you know you're going to price this? What methodology do you use to price this whole thing out? I mean, in the real world, okay, so you want all your costs and you want some sort of profit and boom, that should be in the neighborhood of your price, right? You've got waste, you've got different things that go along with it, taxes and overhead and all the other, you know, those things that got to go in, but not everybody does that. So when I look at menus now, and I have menus at my entertainment complexes as well as water parks, you know, I have a captured audience, unlike a restaurant. My restaurants are really dealing with a lot of competition all around them. When you come into my facility, guess what? You're going to pay a little bit more in food and beverage, alcohol, so forth, because you're probably not going to leave my park. If you do, well, then you probably might not come back in. Or you're going to lose out on the time that you might have to be there. So you're probably going to pay a premium. It's like if you go to Disney, Disneyland or Disney World in Orlando, where I live is Orlando, and I've been in California for a year. But bottom line is you're going to pay. You're not going to go out to your car, go down the street, go to a convenience store, go to a restaurant, and then go back into the park. You're going to pay the extra premium because of the time it's going to take. your time value of money that is valuable to you for your family and for what you just paid for the ticket. So you'll pay a little bit more. So my parks, yeah, we do charge a little bit more. So we shoot for certain food costs related items that makes it more advantageous, that throws more money to the bottom line. Because if you go to a park, we've built these structures, we fix these structures because we took them back through bankruptcy. And we've, you know, we've put money back into them. You need to get some money back out of this whole deal. But if you don't, if you're not profitable on every single guest, I don't care if it's a restaurant, a business, I don't know, whatever it is, you're not going to be profitable in volume. And it's so funny how I meet people and go, well, if we can just market this a little bit more, we can get more volume in here. Yeah, well, you got to be profitable on every single person coming through. If you don't have the value proposition already built in, you're just going to lose money faster. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're you're not going to get back what you're looking for. So when you're looking at a restaurant, you're looking at a family entertainment center business, you got to know, well, what, what's my cost structure? Where am I getting things from? Of course, you always want to save money. You want to figure out how can I cut some cost and waste and labor and things like that. Well, what's your competition doing? You know, like at Applebee's, when I was working for Abe Gustin, I was working for him when it was he was retired. And we had the Central Florida Applebee's, Orlando area, Florida. And we were building different counties, nine counties around us and growing. And we would look at the competition and we would physically bring in the plate that they would sell at a Chili's, a Friday's, a Bennigan's, different places that were similar to us and compare how's our pricing to what the other individual gets. And we'd weigh it. How many, how many ounces are we putting out there? How many ounces are we putting out there? You know, we can't change the spec, but then we can say, well, because that was predicated to corporate, what it would allow us because we were the central Florida 
franchise of the franchisor. Now, Abe was the franchisor, but he retired. So we can't break the franchise agreement that we have to change things. So we compare. And so that's the same thing with every business. What does your competition charge? In my case, family entertainment, what do they charge per day, per hour? What do they charge for arcade? What do they charge for food and beverage? Do they even have what we have? Do they just have pizzas, hot dogs, hamburgers, and French fries, which a lot of them do? How do we make it better? How do we differentiate our product? How do we differentiate our pricing? And so that's where we played with it a little bit where others don't do that. They just put their one price out. This is what you're going to pay. Or they charge just one attraction. I said, no, no, we need a higher check average. Let's. How do we wrap this together? And they stay there longer. If they stay there longer, they're going to eat more. They're going to play more. You know, that's what we want to do. We want to make areas where they're going to stay there longer. So we created this outdoor experience called the Boomer's Backyards and indoor experience called the Chill Zone. Hey, it works so well in our water parks. We have VIPs and cabanas. How about we do that in our family entertainment center business and people want their own space. They'll pay you a premium for space in your park for the day. So why not do these things and let's think outside the box and create new revenue streams. But when you finally get the competition down, you know your pricing associated with it, what else can you do? How can we differentiate the product? How can we make new things, new experiences? I love looking at all kinds of entertainment that's out there. You never know where something might come from. Experiences where they have, you know, in a map, the whole wall through projection. How could you bring some of that in? Disney does it pretty well. Can you do some of it? It's actually something we're working on. How can we create new experiences throughout and keep building upon it? You don't necessarily have to bring in new attractions. A lot of people think I got to keep spending more and more and more money every year. It's true to keep taking care of it. If you haven't taken care of it, which the previous company that was bankrupt did not, but we fixed that, but you don't always have to put new attractions in if you can keep freshening up with new events, new things coming in. Could we create some e-gaming sports competitions? Could we create some new environments within our area that you wouldn't traditionally go to us for? The answer is yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. Now, can't hurt to try. And when you try, well, what did I learn from that? I've gotten to the point now, that's what I asked Mark, what did we learn from that? You know, was it good or bad? I had a whole sheet of numbers of something we did last week. And I go, all right, we were thinking this park was going to do so much better. Why didn't they? Well, maybe we didn't give them enough information. Maybe we didn't have enough signs out. We didn't have it on our video boards. Maybe it wasn't on. Okay. So what do we do the next time? Do we learn from that? You know, they obviously, if you don't change what you're physically doing and you're expecting a different result, that is called the definition of insanity. So you're going to looking for a different result you know, with the same process every single time. I've had a lot of owners I've consulted for thinking, if I just do the same thing I'm doing, I'm going to get a different result, right? It's like, no, you're not. You've got to do something different. You got to get something for the guest, the team member. What is it you're going after? You want new franchisees? What is it we're looking for out of this? And it's really funny because when I've consulted in the past, I go, what is it you're looking to do? You know, I work for private equity. Private equity ultimately is going to sell this business somewhere down the road. I don't know when, but somewhere down the road, right? If it's valuable enough and the right price is right, you know, and they're going to make some money out of it, that's a great thing. I have a vested interest. Hopefully, it'll be a great thing when that day happens. But the bottom line is, what do you want to do? Know your expectations. So if you're going to take a business over, restaurant, retail, hospitality, entertainment, what is it you want to do? I just want to run this for my kids. Great. Is it going to be around long enough for your kids? Are you going to be profitable enough? Do you want to take vacations? Do you want to put money away? What is it you're looking to do with this? Because you can create wealth 
with these things, or you can operate it as a business and sell off the asset of like real estate underneath it and do a sale lease back. There's a lot of different ways of approaching it, but it's always, what do you want out of this? Well, I want to make more money. That's great. What are you willing to do to make more money? And that's where the differentiating point comes. Some people hate change. I think I love change. I think it's at the end of the day, my team would say, I love change because we're going to change things constantly and we're going to look at things a new way. And it drives them nuts sometimes because it's like, I can't keep up with the other things you've already said to change. Yeah, but you have to stay ahead of the curve. So, yeah. you know, if you don't have some changes, it's not going to get there. So, you know, when you take a look at this, numbers are going to give you what the story is, but ultimately, What's your outcome? What are you looking for? I knew I need to go turn this company around. And yeah, I had eight locations when I took over and we turned everyone much more profitable in a short period of time with four times of closing with the pandemic. And we're on track to, I won't say double what we did last year in EBITDA, but we're going to be you know, not too far off, maybe 80% of what we did last year, it, more on top of it. Yeah, no, it's so. spectacular in this environment for sure. And Tim, I don't even know where to start. There are just <laughs> so yeah. many amazing little gold nuggets out of that point you were making. So I'm going to start with this though. Here's here's some of the takeaways from what Tim just said. We're not going to dive too deep because I'd be on this on this interview for the next 20 hours because it was so amazing. But let's start with this. So when you're running your business, it's really important to strive to hit market price points and to create signature products that you can offer a premium for. So, and I agree with that. We're in the multifamily syndication space. We're an equity company as well. We raise capital with private investors. We buy assets and we renovate them. And there's a lifetime value of a customer. You have to add services and and amenities to the properties. And then of course you raise rents, right? And there's been instances where we bought properties at $550 in rent when we started. And two years later, they were producing $1,000 a month premiums, which is astronomical. But the tenant base supported that, the environment, the income supported that, and the amenities that were added supported that, right? So it's identifying early on where the opportunities are and then taking them to max. Now, if you'd have said, oh, in two years, you're going to be at $1,000 a month rent, we would have thought you were nuts, right? But as you test the market, you keep testing the market and you keep adding things, you realize it's the consumers that decide but you're the delivery you're the delivery vehicle right so something you touched on which i think is really important and i want the listeners to take away is you help people identify where the value propositions are within their organizations or in your own organizations by using the numbers and following the data but then also just getting on the ground and pound side of things and using competitors information i say competitors we're all in this business together it's not a big deal we we need competition so it's not a bad thing but you use that to then gauge if you're above or below the curve and then obviously identifying areas of opportunity which is something you touched on which is well do you have any specialty products do you have anything that would draw people into your organization versus others that they're willing to pay a premium for which i think is so critically important because Every business has a value proposition. It could be you're closer to the apartment complexes than the other guys, right? Or you offer bigger meal plates because you have a relationship with the supply house and you get better rates based on volume because you have eight locations versus two, but they weren't utilizing that when you took over because they had four different vendors for some reason or another, right? Or cousin right. Vinny works for the chop shop and that's why they're buying those steaks instead of, well, no, we can get it for seven cents a pound less, et cetera, et cetera, right? right. Uh, so I love what you said there because there was so much much in that. But I think that what's needed in teaching others how to be successful is, hey, let me show you a different way to look at things. And you do have value. You just may not have identified it yet within your organization, right? That's just, that's awesome. 
And this, ladies and gentlemen, concludes part one of Chris Roberts' interview with Tim Murphy, the CEO of Boomer Spark, on how to approach turnarounds to grow your business. Please tune in next week for part two, as Chris and Tim will be discussing culture, values, processes, strategic collaboration, and much more. Until then, stay well. Bye now. If you're ready to start creating your fortune today, head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income. When you get to the page, there are two options. Option one is for you if you're not sure exactly how the investment process works or how to get ready to be an investor. We've created a short, fast class you can sign up for that will walk you through the steps and answer questions like, what does a good investment look like? And so much more. It even includes an audio version so you can quickly learn on the go as you golf, go to your day job, or work out. Just think, in a couple of days, you can start listening and learning about creating your fortune and not be stuck wondering, do I even have enough to retire? And then option two is for you if you're a sophisticated or accredited investor and have money to invest, you just need to talk to us about our next investment opportunity. You can quickly schedule a call with us and we can walk you through your options on how to get dividends flowing right away. We can help you create a plan to have three to 10,000 or even more in passive income every month that's reliable, safe, and steady. Ditch the small returns and unpredictable growth. Head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income and let's build the life of your dreams today.